don't I have a great job? <laughs> I really do. I, and I'm going to use this moment, uh, and it's going to be a bit manipulative, but um, I have got you all hopped, hopped up on the cuteness of our kids right now. And I want to uh, tell you um, about a need that we have in our church family. Right now, we are in, uh, recruiting some volunteers in a number of areas, but one specifically is is with our kids and um, our Saturday evening service right now is is growing as all of our services are and we are looking to build a team of people to provide child care uh, on Saturday evenings but we're in addition to recruiting from the Saturday night congregation we uh, specifically want to see if we can't fill that need from among those who uh, regularly attend here on Sunday morning in part because many of those that are uh, there on Saturday night are there because they're not able to be here on Sunday morning. Their jobs or whatever it is don't allow them to. And so if they're serving with our kids on, on Saturday uh, night, then they can't be a part of the worship service. And so we're looking um, for volunteers that would serve on a rotation about once a month to once every like six weeks, somewhere in that range, that you would say, hey, for a Saturday night for an hour or so, we can come uh, watch our kids and, and allow the parents to be able to be in here together and play some games and have some fun with them. And then that allows you then to be back on, on Sunday morning to join us for worship. And so we're also looking to, to maybe recruit kind of a point leader, like a coordinator for that Saturday night need. And so if that's something that you would be interested in, willing to consider uh, the, out by the children's check-in kiosk out there there is a information um, recruiting area out there and we would love to chat with you more about that but um, like if you think our kids are cute and you want them to have a good place to go then that was too far that was too much um, we also have a membership class coming up in the next couple weeks so if you've been thinking or praying about church membership uh, that's coming up on May 7th as well and so we'd love to have you be a part of that uh, the, the membership class, again, it's not kind of an insider-outsider thing here. It's agreed upon um, saying, hey, we're, we agree with you and your commitment and your faith, the mission that God's put you here. We want to be a part of it. And so uh, it's a great way to, um, to get plugged into things happening in the church. So you can attend that meeting, and then uh, that doesn't commit you to anything. You can find out more about what we believe as a church and what, what we see God doing uh, in our midst and in our community and We'd love to have you be a part of that as well. And all that is available um, online. So you can get more information at chapelstreet.church slash news. Uh, a, a couple weeks ago, uh, we began a study of a letter that was written to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Colossae. And within this letter, Paul is giving us this description this depiction of who Jesus is in, in order that the church there could take kind of whatever cultural philosophies and, and, and ideologies and religiosities and, and, and sit it next to the authentic Jesus. And, and what Paul understands and believes is that when that happens, it is not Jesus that's going to be left wanting, but these opposing ideas. They are going to be the ones that are exposed as as um, flawed or imperfect or ultimately inferior to who Jesus is. They're going to be just exposed as, as counterfeit claims 
that are not worthy of your hope. I've mentioned many times that uh, over the years as a student ministries pastor at Chapel Street, I've had the opportunity to lead uh, our kids on trips in Ecuador. And one of the really fascinating things about that country, and I don't know if this is true in other like Central or South American countries, but in Ecuador, these villages of these little cities would become known very specifically for what they produce. And so there's literally like a, a city that you drive through that is just famous for this ice cream treat that they make that's kind of like a, a popsicle, but it's, it's on a stick, but it's ice cream. Is that Rusty called Salerno? Is that the, what is the name of that? Something like that. And so the name of the town is named, the ice cream treat's named after the town, and you drive in and there's a gigantic statue at the outskirt of the town with this ice cream treat out there. So like you're coming into ice cream town and every storefront that you go by literally has like signs out there selling this specific ice cream treat. Like you would think like, are they just buying this from each other at this point? Like, like uh, there's, cult, there's market saturation going on here and everybody like comes to that town to get that ice cream and takes it home and sells it in their stores and whatever else. Uh, another town is known for its like leather goods. So if you need a leather jacket or a purse or a wallet or whatever, you would go to leather town <laughs> and buy leather, I guess. And, and, um, and then there's this other city that we would drive through that was known for their denim products. Like they would, there was, it was Jean Town. Like this is where you would go to buy jeans. And you would go into any number of what seemed like endless stores just full of jeans and you would pick out the style and the fit that you wanted. And then as you go to check out, you could take that specific gene and they would have on the wall all the different brand labels of gene makers. So it'd be like Levi or what's another Calvin Klein or whatever. And you'd be like, oh, I want that. I want these to be Calvin Klein jeans. And then they sew that label on <laughs> to the jeans, right? Like. And you could see that and look from a distance and you could think, okay, this is the real deal. Like, this is what I've got. But on closer inspection, if it was set next to the real thing, you would recognize that all I have is a false label. In our culture, when I, when I think about this in terms of how our, we approach Jesus, I, I, I would describe this as kind of an a la carte approach to, to Jesus. So I can order up the aspects of Jesus and his character and his nature that, that resonate with me and that I appreciate and like. And I can talk about justice and compassion. I can talk about grace and love. Yes, please, like, I'll take a full plate full. Give me more. But if there are other components of the character and nature of Jesus, if I think about things that are inconvenient, like sacrifice, generosity, for me, yes please. From me, eh. <laughs> authority, like I think that's a huge one in our culture. Like to, to acknowledge and recognize Jesus as, as king, well, I want the kingdom, I want what he describes in this kingdom, but am I willing to recognize him as king? His holiness, like I'll, that's a bit much. Thank you, though, right? And this is Paul's point. 
And it's just as instructive for us as, as it was for this group of Jesus followers who are gathered together in this most likely a home in Colossae hearing this letter written to them that, 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 that we can take whatever philosophy or ideology or whatever we are placing our hope in and we can set it next to the authentic Jesus and when it sits next to Jesus we're going to discover that we are clinging to a counterfeit because it's only the real deal, Jesus and Jesus alone, who in verse 19 is described as uh, having the fullness of God dwell in him, where, where it's said that he is reconciling all things unto himself. It's only Jesus that can accomplish that. In other words, it's only the authentic and real Jesus that is able to do and has done the very thing that we need most to restore us into right relationship with our creator and to present us, it says in Colossians, as holy and faultless and blameless before him. He's the only one he can do it. And when we sit next, anything next to him, it pales in comparison. This is the reason why, by the way, just like I think it was intended in that church in Colossae, we are working, committing ourselves to memorize this description of Jesus that Paul gives us. So this is Colossians 15 through, through 20. Who's got it down? Who's ready? No? All right, Jonathan, you got this? Yes? No? You're just like, still working on verse 20, right? Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. One of the things, I, and I will say memorization has not come natural to me, but one of the things I've discovered is that it's repetition over time. So I'm going to say this week, we're going to get started in this, and we're going to begin with these first two verses in 15 and 16. Our goal this week is to commit these to, to memory. And I want to start by just reading it out loud together. So we're going to recite this together. Join in uh, with me here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All right, so key to memorizing is repetition. So one more time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this is, uh, up here is the CSB version, which is what I preach out. Some of you were like, oh, that's not what I started. That's okay. If you memorize it in the NIV or the ESV or the NLT, uh, it all counts. Um, so Pastor Joe is preaching next week, and he's not as gracious as I am. So he's going to check in with you guys to see how we're doing. So let's get these two down uh, this week. And what follows from this, now Paul starts to make this kind of this transition. And so he's given us this soaring understanding of who Jesus is. Now he's going to start to describe the implications of the fullness of Jesus on the work that Paul has been given to do and then ultimately on, on who we are as, as a church. So this is where we pick things up today. I'm going to begin in, um, in Colossians, the end of Colossians 1. In verse 24, and then we're going to read through verse 5 together. So if you have, of, of chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with, uh, 
with you, you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. I'm actually going to back up one, uh, the very last part of verse 23. It says, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for all ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me, for I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments uh, that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. So let's, let's pause there. And, and Paul now begins to talk about how the implications of being in Christ how that gets played out, the role he gets to play now in the work of Christ. And if you notice there at the, the very end of verse 23, he says, I, Paul, I've become a servant of this. And he begins by describing it as, as sharing in his sufferings. He begins by describing it as sharing in his sufferings. When I was a, a senior in high school, and some of you will, will know how ironic this is, like how hard I work now to avoid exercise and a senior in high school I made the foolish decision to join the cross-country team uh and turns out that involves a lot of running um and like in my head I thought I'm gonna get in really great shape for the basketball season and and there was a lot of my friends that ran cross-country and then this great they had this great community I mean, these guys were a ton of fun. They would get together in the evening and, and, and watch movies or go get ice cream or do whatever. Uh, but they also then would get up very early in the morning and run just obnoxiously long distances, right? Like, and my, my cross-country coach, who also was my neighbor, was like, did summer cross-country camp. And, you know, if you put the word camp on anything, it sounds like it's going to be fun. But this was, he would take us to his parents' house out in the country drive us in the middle of nowhere and say run run back to the to the house i'm like i don't even know where the house is at like and everybody there's way faster than me so i'm just chucking through kind of these cornfields wondering if i'm ever going to be found alive right and the the reason i tell you this story is because there was this this aspect of the community that i wanted that i recognized as good but to be a part of it, there was a sharing in the suffering that came with it. And Paul uses this language here to describe what he's experiencing in this work that he gets to be a part of since he is in Christ. Right From a sheer marketing perspective, you're probably thinking, don't lead with, with suffering if you want to convince people that they really want to be a part of this. But in Paul's mind, 
When he talks about suffering, he, Paul, Paul understands that everyone suffers. It's a part of living in a, in a broken and messed up world. The question is, are you going to suffer with purpose, or is your suffering going to be pointless and empty? Paul's saying, I, I, I want to offer you the opportunity to, to suffer with, with purpose. In fact, he, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, which feels like an oxymoron. The joy that is associated with that, this is this theme that's repeated in multiple, uh, multiple times in his letters in Romans chapter 5, or in Acts chapter 5. You describe the joy of Paul in the midst of persecution, Colossians, or uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Um, you'll see it repeated over and over and over again. Now here in, in verse 24, let me read this again. This is verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. Now jump down to verse 29. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and all who have not seen me in person. So this is this repeated theme of suffering, and and in verse 24, it's, it's worth mentioning here that verse 24 is how we interpret this verse is, is very debated. There's tons of debate around our understanding of verse 24 and specifically that, that portion of verse 24 where it talks about what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. Some other translations will translate that as, as incomplete. So the question that we're wrestling with, well, then what, is, what is the lacking? What is it that is not complete? Um, for my, my, if you grew up in the, the Catholic Church, you may know that this verse is um, kind of foundational in their doctrine around purgatory, meaning that for some, in the, the, there is a further work of atonement that remains to be done after death. And that's where they see the lacking. I would respectfully disagree with, with that interpretation. I would suggest that, that what Paul has already told us about the accomplished work of Christ, that he is the one who presents us holy and faultless and blameless, is that there is no more remaining work that needs to be done as it relates to what Christ has accomplished. But rather, what is incomplete or what is lacking in Christ, these afflictions for his body, the church, has nothing to do with the effectiveness of what Christ has done, but rather the knowledge or the acceptance of it, meaning that there is still people, the work of telling the world of what Jesus has done is, is not yet completed. There's still people who need to know. In other words, Paul sees his ministry and also then his source of suffering, which he rejoices in, is the work of telling people of what Jesus has already accomplished to reconcile everything to himself. Does that make sense? So Paul's, Paul is seeing this as one cohesive work of God. The victory of forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation that Jesus secured on the cross that was made permanent in his resurrection, it came through suffering. And so when Jesus leaves these followers of his with this work to do, when he said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples of all nations, right? His assumption, his expectation is that is a work, as the continued work of Christ that came through suffering, 
that will be a work marked by and experienced with suffering, includes suffering. It's one cohesive work. In this, Paul rejoices because he actually understands his suffering as evidence that the very mission of his life the work that God had saved him for, it's actually moving forward. It's advancing. Like the work is getting done. If you remember back in, in Acts chapter 9, there's this moment when the Apostle Paul has this transformative encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And after this encounter, he's just sort of laid out. And, and Jesus sends one of his disciples to go and care for him, a man by the name of Ananias. And he says, this is what I want you to tell Paul. This is in Acts 9, verse 15. He said, but the Lord said to him, saying to Ananias, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, the kings and Israelites, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul sees, he understands the suffering through the lens of his participation in God's ultimate plan of salvation. And I would suggest that we don't have to only understand suffering in view of persecution. Sometimes suffering is the experience of being human, living in a broken world. We can have a, a bit of a, a disconnect for us in this because for most of us, I would venture to guess that our experience of trying to publicly live out our faith, if that's what you're trying to do, right, has not been marked by what we would tra call traditionally like persecution. Like maybe there's some people who've, who've been unkind or made fun of you or not included you. There's, I get that. But we wouldn't traditionally think of it as like, what well, Paul is in prison as he writes this letter, right? That sort of thing. But if you were here over Christmas when there was a family from our church who is now living in a part of the world that is very hostile to the gospel, right? Their experience of publicly living out their faith, and particularly the experience of the um, men and women in that country, native to that country, who have come to faith in Jesus and are living out their faith in a public, their, their very lives are at risk. In fact, we got an update just before Easter, pray, 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 the persecution is intense. So their experience is as they try to make Jesus known in a part of the world that needs to know what he's done for them, how much he has loved them, right? their very day-to-day -day experience is one of sharing in the suffering. Again, Paul's writing this letter from a prison in Rome, and he rejoices that he gets to be a part of this continued work of Christ. And I think it speaks meaning in our own experiences of suffering. And it, it speaks purpose into parts of the world right now where their experience of it is much more similar to that of, of Paul's. Secondly, then, Paul says he also gets to be a part of, of making the mystery known. Making the mystery known. Again, back in Colossians 1, verse 25. Listen to what Paul says here. I've become its servant, referring to the church, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, 
warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So Paul begins to describe for them and then jump down to the beginning of chapter 2. For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When I was a little boy, my brothers and I, we had this tree kind of on the backside of the property that we lived on, and we built like this this little tree house thing. That's a bit like overstating it. It was like a piece of plywood wedged in between branches, and my dad eventually put some two by four so we would quit falling out of this tree but like it was our little clubhouse right and like any good clubhouse in order to gain access to it you had to know like the secret code word right if you were one of like the neighbor kids and you wanted to get up there there was a clear like hey do you have you been given the information that you need to have and like me and my brothers like we would we would pack snowballs and have them up there and so like if some of our friends from the neighborhood were coming around we could like loft like snowballs at them as they were going by because like they didn't they didn't know the secret password right right in other words like do you have do you have the thing that is hidden from others by which you gain access in a culture where Paul writes, whether it was Greek, uh, uh, Greek and Roman mythologies, if it was this early kind of Gnosticism that we think is fl- floating around, if it was even sort of a Jewish mysticism, right? The word mystery referred to this idea of ina- initiation rites or initiation symbols, meaning that it had to be kept hidden from the uninitiated. And this appears to be part of what's going on, that Epaphras is is concerned about like that this idea of it's great that you've got jesus but do you do you have the insider information that's really needed in order to gain access and so paul this is the language that he begins to describe his purpose making the mystery known because the overarching question that that i think gets asked and again it applies now as it as it did then is how can i as an in perfect human being how how can i be allowed into the presence of a perfect and holy god like what do i what do i need to know it might not get said like that maybe you you may have heard it something maybe you've said it like what would god want to do with me why would he be interested in me david garland in his commentary on colossians describes it this way he says for ages No one, not even generations of faithful Jews, guessed the course that God was heading. Although there were signposts along the way, all that God intended to do was quite inconceivable to human minds. The mystery went against all human reason simply because it was above all human reason. And now Paul says, because he is in Christ, he gets to be a part of telling the world the mystery that is God's plan to restore us back into right relationship with him. It's all available to us in Christ. Like in Paul's mind, this ought to be the worst kept secret ever, right? That not only has God made the mystery known, now we get to, he says, we get to proclaim him. We get to tell the rest of the world. And and 
What's fascinating here is Paul says not only is this true for Israel, for the Jewish people that kind of understood and viewed what God was going to do to be a a work among them, he's saying God has blown the doors off this. This is this multi-ethnic, multi-racial, take it all across the world, tell anybody who will listen that the mystery has been revealed and the answer is Jesus. In fact, Paul understands that to be his specific calling. To make it known to the Gentiles. As I said, I think this question gets asked a thousand different ways to this very day. But we get to join Paul in the work of making the mystery known and saying God has revealed how we gain access. It is in Christ. Christ is our accent. It is Jesus in you. And then thirdly, Paul sees his role as helping the church to grow into maturity. It's about growing into maturity. Verse 28 and 29. Paul says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. And then jump down to verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2. And I'm saying this. So that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. This is, again, putting up the authentic Jesus next to whatever other claim is vying for your hope. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. When I was a kid, uh, people always used to say to me, um, oh man, that totally reminds me of your dad. Oh, that the way you said that, like that, that reminds me of, of your dad. And when I was a kid, I, I found that annoying, right? I was like, I'm my own man, right? Like, whatever. Um, now, I, my dad passed away 12, 12 years ago. You guys have heard me talk about my dad. And now when I go back to Ohio and I see somebody that knew my dad really well, and they see me and they said, oh, that, that was so Dave Moore, what you just did there. Like, I, I treasure that because I look at like, who my dad was, and I think, man, if I am becoming like him, how great is that? Like, even what we, we prayed for up here today for over these kids, right? We're praying that they would grow into a maturity, and this is what Paul's prayer is for the church, the part that he gets to play, is that this would be a group growing in maturity in Christ. In other words, he wants us to grow up to resemble Jesus. Right, where we become, to, to quote another commentator, in our lives indistinguishable and basic character from his life. To grow up to resemble Jesus, to grow up in maturity. And in verse 2 of chapter 2, he gives us some, some context for this. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. He desires that the very center of our lives, our hearts, that not just that emotional center, but out of, uh, out of which we operate, like the core of who you are, right? He wants it to be operated out of what is true about Jesus, and because it's true about Jesus, what he says is true about you. Paul, in just a few verses, is going to say, I want you to be rooted and built up in him, established in faith. This is his idea of maturity. He says, I want you to be joined together in love. I want you to... Remember that this is one of the distinctives that Paul celebrates in an opening of this letter. He acknowledges that the faith they have in Christ and of their love for the saints. 
and saying, I want you to grow up to resemble Jesus. And when you have this shared experience of God's love for you, it will unify you in this outworking process of loving each other and loving the world around us. We want, we want this to be the thing that joins us together. And then thirdly, he says that, I want that you may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? It's Christ. He's saying, I want you to fully know Christ. His ultimate desire, his expression of maturity, is that we would be grounded in Christ, in him that we would find everything that we need. In him, through the work of the Holy Spirit, it produces the work in us to grow us so that we may resemble Jesus. And, and what would become true, what he just said, that we're going to memorize in verse 18, that Christ may come to have first place in everything. He says, this is, what I'm, this is the work God has called me to. This is the mission. This is what I'm praying for in the church. And may it be true here. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. As we pray, they'll close us out this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what we have been a part of celebrating. And I thank you for Paul's continued objective of just pointing us back to Jesus and how when we understand the fullness of Jesus it begins to shape and form the role that we play as a part of the church the role that we play in our world Lord even just specifically that that idea of making the mystery known that the primary fundamental question that our world is asking that we have the answer to and that we get to tell people about so Lord continue to grow us shape us and form us into the image of your son. Grow us into maturity. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I, uh, um, it is a, a privilege to worship with you. I think, is Julie still here? Does anybody know if there's still cake out there? Okay. We're, there's cake. We, last night we were celebrating with Joe at our Saturday night service, the 100th recording of the podcast. Um, and we had extra cake. So now we've turned it into child dedication cake. <laughs> and so we get to celebrate that this morning. So if you got time to hang around and ruin your lunch with us, we would love to have you do that. Uh, if we can pray with you this morning, um, it's a privilege and honor. Um, if you're new with us, know that you are always welcome here. We love having you. Uh, invite you to stop by our, our, our welcome desk. We would love to meet you uh, personally as well. Um, and our generosity boxes are, are by our two side doors, and we're so grateful for the ways you partner with us. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the mystery made known of God's plan to restore all things. Help us proclaim him to the world, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.